On this podcast, we discuss medical diagnoses and procedures. All of the guests express their own opinions. You should always seek medical advice from a trained and credentialed professional when making decisions about your own health. Welcome to the Sleep Apnea Stories podcast. I'm Emma Cooksey, and I've been coping with sleep apnea since childhood. I didn't know anyone in my life with a sleep disorder, so I decided to start this podcast. I'm here to build community and provide a platform for people with sleep apnea to tell their stories. Together, we can shatter stereotypes and raise awareness. We'll be exploring all sorts of treatment options and lifestyle choices to help you live your best life with sleep apnea. This is Sleep Apnea Stories, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey everyone, it's Emma Cooksey here, and I'm your host. So today's episode is my conversation with Dr. Dan Gartenberg. So he is a sleep scientist, which is super interesting. I love on the podcast when I get to interview people from different perspectives. So obviously we have a bunch of patients all the time sharing their stories and we have a lot of doctors and different experts, dentists and different people. But I really like talking to Dan because he has a whole different um sort of perspective on this. Like he's actually starting to look at how to research into sleep apnea and how we can make sleep apnea treatment better. So I loved having this kind of like high level discussion with him. Um, I had to cut out a bunch of me jumping up and down and being like, ooh, ooh, you should (laughs) research this and what about this? And so, cause I know you guys want to hear from him, like not just me. A little bit about Dan um, before we start. So Dr. Dan Gartenberg, He's also called Dr. Snooze, and he's the founder of the Sleep Space app, but he's also an adjunct assistant professor at Penn State, and he has a PhD in applied psychology. One of the main things he's looking at um, in sleep science is the use of sound, light, temperature, and vibration to enhance sleep during sleep. So whether like playing certain sounds can help people with the quality of their sleep while they're asleep. So it's kind of interesting. And I'm going to link in the show notes to his TED talk because he did a really great TED talk called The Brain Benefits of Deep Sleep and How to Get More of It. And that TED talk has had more than 5 million views, which is kind of amazing. So during this discussion, we talked a little bit about um, the work he's done in the past and his Sleep Space app. But we also, um, the part that was really interesting to me was he's looking at new research he can do into sleep apnea. I love hearing his perspective on what he thinks about, you know, the current treatments for sleep apnea and, you know, what he sees that could improve. He just has a really unique insight, I think, into all of this. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Dan Gartenberg. And Dan, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Do you want to start by telling people where you are in the world? Well, I'm typically in Brooklyn, New York, but actually right now I am visiting family for Passover in Miami. 
wonderful. I'm glad I asked. So you're in Florida. Yeah. Part of the world. I, I'm in your neck of the woods. Right? That's right. <laughs> so start off by telling us a little bit like you kind of when we first chatted, you described yourself as a scientist. And you so you did a PhD in human factors and applied cognition. Do you want to explain to us what that is and like how you got into this whole sleep thing? Sure. Yeah. It's basically cognitive psychology or experimental psychology um, or it's also known as applied psychology. Um, instead of, you know, treating people in like a clinical sense, which is how most people think of a psychologist, we're mainly running experience, uh, experiments, trying to optimize cognition the professor I worked with founded the field of neuroergonomics, which oh. essentially is the study of the brain at work. His name was Raja Parasurman. And I was also working for the Naval Research Labs for my PhD under Greg Trafton, um, basically building models of fatigue using artificial intelligence. So there's a lot of talk about um, artificial intelligence right now. Yeah, a lot. Um you know, chat GPT and whatnot. So we were, so we weren't trying to like optimize the problem. We were actually trying to model human behavior. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to make robots like humans. And my job was to model the fatigue aspects of human cognition. And mm -hmm. we worked with the Air Force Research Labs on this theory called the microlapse theory of attention. Um, which has to do with basically your process of losing vigilance um, when you're doing tasks and how sleep impacts that. Interesting. Um, hmm. So yeah, that's the science background, but I was always making apps, uh, trying to optimize sleep during this time. I was one of the first apps on the app store. And at a certain point, a professor came up to me about this theory that involved using sounds to stimulate deeper sleep. And I started applying for some grants for that because um, I'm just captivated by this idea of enhancing sleep during sleep, which is so, easy. So what you're talking, because I've kind of tried it out because you now have an app, which we'll get to. But what you're talking about is falling asleep with sounds that almost like, you know, if you're in deep sleep, keep you there. Is, am I kind of understanding that? Yeah, so there's a couple of ways that sounds can enhance sleep, and I'm basically trying to do all of those ways. So there's a couple of ways that you can use sounds, and I'm trying to figure out all the ways. And so there's a couple of things that we can do. Number one is just trying to associate a relaxation sound with the act of falling asleep. Right. Um, so we believe in like having the wind down ritual. I think about it as you might have heard of stimulus control in mm -hmm. cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. For insomnia basically associating your bed with sleep. And the main thing people say is, you know, everyone says this, all, all the doctors, save your bed for sleep and sex only, yada, yada, yeah. yada. My thing is, let's do super stimulus control. So let's build um, extra associations with sleeping, with the bed and sleeping. So mm -hmm. part of that is sound, part of that is light. Part of that is possibly temperature in addition to additional rituals that you can layer on. So, you know, we have this ritual where I press my, I'm going to bed for my wind down, all the lights turn red to sort of, you know, get you in that mode and uh -huh. the photoreceptors in your eyes and whatnot as well. 
Um, and then also we play ocean waves. And there's something like rhythmic about the ocean waves. Um, and it actually, I don't know if it's something about nature, but the uh, pulse rate of the ocean waves are sort of have some similarities to the delta waves. Mm. But I'll get to that in a second. Which um, is that kind of deep sleep wave. Yes, yeah, so that's what yeah. happens in deep sleep. Basically, your brain pulsates at 1.2 hertz around, um, which is, um, and so we try to emulate that with the um, sounds that we play. Mm-hmm. So that's, but, I'm getting ahead of myself. So the first thing <laughs> is falling asleep. And then we think about blocking out noises throughout the night with a sound machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of people use sound machines, you know, a lot of baby, it's useful for children. And so what's unique about what I've built is that I will use technology various ways to measure your sleep during sleep for the purpose of doing something. Um, so like the Fitbit, the Aura Ring, uh, Whoop, all of these devices, it feels, it seems like it's operating in real time, but the algorithms actually calculate your night of sleep after you've completed the entire night. Yeah. Because you basically get better prediction if you have the full night of data. I want to intervene in order to enhance And in order to do that, you can't use the full night of data. You have to use what you've got in that moment of time. So we have an algorithm that works every 30 seconds, and it'll it'll actually measure certain things down to the millisecond. So in your phone, right? Yeah, there's two two main form factors. It'll work with any phone, and it'll then also work even better with an Apple Watch. Okay, got it. Uh, So we have a wrist-based algorithm and then a phone-based algorithm. The phone is measuring sound, and it's also measuring motion. It's mainly informed by the motion data. So so the motion data is what's telling you whether somebody's in deep sleep or not. Well, um, or no. So... It's a little complicated, sorry. But <laughs> for the watch out, for everyone to know, it's sort of important to mm. accurately estimate sleep stages. You really need heart rate data. Right. Um, so, and even then, it's. And like really, a, you need like a polysomnogram with all. Right, the right, right, right. Yeah. Even then, it's like an estimate. So, yeah. our heart rate, you know, when we use the Apple Watch, we're collecting heart rate data. And I think we actually have the most accurate um, Apple Watch algorithm to measure the sleep stages. And um, that's, but even that, you know, will be like 10% off on the sleep stage, for example. So that- If you're trying to improve people's deep sleep with with noises, there's not really any downside to that. It's just that, you know, they'll listen to a different- you know, sound. It's not going to like harm them in any way. So yeah, well, there is a dance that could be harmful, which is playing a sound that wakes you up. Got it. Um, so it's a tightrope walk between getting the brain to respond to mm-hmm. the sound and not pushing your brain to the point that you awaken or yeah. your partner wake awakens. Yes. So that is sort of the essence of the difficulty of building this technology. 
so difficult. Um, so, <laughs> so I you can't have even real, imagine. Yeah, you have to have a real-time algorithm. You have to play it in just the right time and intensity to mm-hmm. get the brain to respond, but you don't wake up. So there's two things during sleep that I'm doing. Number one is we're playing a sound machine. We detect if you're awake or asleep, and then I'll gradually ramp up the sound machine when you're asleep, actually. Okay. Because your brain has a higher, um, it's harder to awake to like arouse you if you're in a sleep, in a, in a consolidated sleep state. Yes. Um, so, so I guess that's where we start getting into people with sleep apnea and what a yeah. pickle that is. I actually just wrote a grant around some ideas that I can get into. But yeah, just to I love wrap, that. Just to wrap this thing yep. up. Um, so it's a smart sound machine that adjusts. And then when we get consistent sleep, based on the motion of the phone, we're just sort of estimating to some degree in the first couple cycles, because that's when you typically are rich in deep sleep. Mm-hmm. We'll play this pulsating sound and you can hear it in the TED talk. It's like a whoosh, yeah. whoosh, whoosh. Now it's the pulse frequency of the sound that's um, matching the pulse rate of your delta brain waves. So we're trying to prime that electrical circuitry. And it originally started with transcranial direct current stimulation, which is essentially zapping the brain at that frequency. And there's some devices around that. But I'm always like, is there a way to do this without having to wear something? Because I'm very sensitive to wearing things at night. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm already wearing a CPAP. So when people are like, and just put this on, I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) exactly. (laughs) I never want to add anything else. (laughs) Exactly. And I think there's something ritualistic about like being like taking everything off when you sleep. You know, it's like you're taking off your burdens for the day, sort of in in a metaphorical way. So, um, you know, I like to sleep close to naked or naked. So I don't like to necessarily wear... I end up doing it because I'm, you know, it's my profession to like wear a bunch of gizmos. So, but usually when I do it, it's like, okay, tonight is my tracking night. Let's see where I'm at. Yeah. It's not usually like every night I'm necessarily wearing something. And that's why I made the mechanism of just using your phone because the phone actually has better sensors than basically any wearable. Like the motion sensor in your phone, Apple makes it this way because they make like games with it that use the accelerometer and stuff. So that sensor is actually highly, highly accurate. So we crank that up and use that to accurately measure the sleep. And you can mm-hmm. place the phone in bed or, you know, I have this little mechanism that um, charges it and puts it in the same place every night in order to accurately play the sounds. So it's always in the same location every night on your side of the bed. That's the sleep space smart bed because Mm -hmm. I want to play the sounds very precisely. And like my wife likes louder sound masking than I do. I think she has like harder hearing or, you know, people are different. Yeah, Uh, There's sleep spindles, as you might know, that impact that. Um, So yeah, so that's that's why I, I, I invented the thing. I mean, I guess I'm just always really interested. Like, I know a lot of people with sleep apnea have co-occurring insomnia, but I'm really interested in what you think we need to be researching more or what your ideas are to kind of 
make things better for people with sleep apnea. <laughs> yeah, so I just wrote a grant on that and I just submitted it yesterday. So well I have done. a lot of thoughts. Um, so that's a direction I'm going. I've mainly focused on insomnia in the past. So typically what we've done in the past is try to, to augment the treatment of insomnia. Mm -hmm. And what you mentioned there is, uh, I guess you've probably talked to your listeners about Comisa. When yeah, I've had times. a couple of people on and talk, talked about it and talked about, you know, doing CBTI for the um, insomnia element and then getting some sort of treatment for the sleep apnea element and treating both together right yeah like I think, there I think a... oftentimes people are you know diagnosed with sleep apnea and nobody really questions them about whether they might have insomnia too and people end up you know just treating their sleep apnea yeah. and they still have this insomnia untreated so we've talked a lot about that yeah and I don't know if you've seen there was a recently published paper that um for folks with comisa mm -hmm. treating their insomnia actually reduced the um, number of hypopneas that they yeah, had. Which is the great. Um, and so I think what that points to from a theoretical perspective is that, you know, anything that's going to sort of just make you in general healthier and consolidate your sleep, exercise, you know, weight loss, mm -hmm. um, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia yeah, will potentially, um, especially if you're a certain type of person with sleep apnea, because that's the other thing is, People you know, it's really different. Yeah. Like the phenotypes I mean, are, are really different. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I think this, the doctors are, don't really even think about this. And even the scientists are just like sort of scratching the surface yeah. on the type of sleep apnea person you are. Yeah. Obviously there's, you know, severe, severe, moderate, mild, but even beyond that, like to what extent is it a structural issue? Like to yes. what extent is it the weight loss thing? Um, to what extent is it like the breathing exercise? Thanks for saying that, because I think that, I mean, that's one of the main reasons I have a podcast, right? Because uh, like the difference to me, there are, you know, older overweight men who develop sleep apnea when they gained a lot of weight. They usually have really high HIs. They go on CPAP and they do just fine. But then there's everybody else <laughs> right. who I don't feel like the, the current setup is really helping as well as it could be, right? There's there's a lot of, especially like younger, thinner women who it's more of the structure of, you know, like they're facing their airway and, and like, they're just not like, they're usually their HI isn't very high, but they have pretty severe symptoms. So I hope in the future, there'll be a lot more research about all the different people, like, you know, what the different issues are and how to treat it more effectively. Yeah. So hopefully the uh, NIH, NHLBI will, will fund this and I can sort of answer some of that questions and yeah. question. And, you know, um, I don't know if you're familiar with, there's some new science showing that doing 3D photography of the face, um, cranial facial 3D photograph, when you pump it through the machine learning is actually predictive of if you have ap uh, sleep apnea. I mean, I, I haven't seen that research, but like, yeah, I would totally <laughs> think that that was the case just from right. like the number of us that look this way with really long faces and underdeveloped huh. jaws. And, you know, like it, it just... Yeah. I mean, that's great, though, if they did that research to show it. So that's there is a couple predictive models that show it. There's also um, something else I'm exploring 
I won't go into too much details on it, but a dentist. Well, you don't do- want some other scientist to <laughs> jump in. I'm not that paranoid about that. <laughs> if they if they want to solve it better than me, they're more than welcome to. Um, but um, you can do some imagery on the esophagus, basically the breathing tube, um, and also pump that through the machine learning, yeah. and it'll pick up. You know, similar to how like they've shown that. Um, you can give the machine learning a photograph of like a mam, you know, a mammogram Mm -hmm. and it'll pick up on the breast cancer better than. This episode of Sleep Apnea Stories is sponsored by BetterHelp. How well we look after our mind really affects how we experience life. Therapy has been so helpful to me since I was diagnosed with sleep apnea. It helped me to work through the feelings I had about going undiagnosed for so long. It also helped me to adjust to living with a chronic condition. One of the best things about starting my podcast has been realizing I'm not alone in coping with mental health issues along with sleep apnea. Speaking to a professional therapist has helped me enormously to manage my anxiety and depression. BetterHelp is online therapy and it's much more affordable than in-person sessions. You can get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Emma. That's betterhelp.com slash Emma. So when you're saying you're pumping it into machine learning, it means that the clever machine is looking for similarities in the people's faces that have sleep apnea and is able to say, we find this many. I don't really know. Right. Yeah. So like I can't tell, I mean, you, you just made some hypotheses with what you just said with the long face and stuff. I'm not even worried. I mean, there's probably some truth to that. And I think you're Mm -hmm. probably right. But this is like, the machine is like picking up on these minute patterns that might not even be like perceptible to a human being. Oh, wow. Um, So what's needed, though, for to build that is the data, essentially. So I need Mm -hmm. some reference data to train the model. Um, So I need to collect data that I think is going to be predictive of phenotyping people. And I'd actually okay. be curious to hear if you have any ideas, I'm going to try to collect as much as I can. And I then have so many ideas. <laughs> and then like follow them for like six weeks. Um, these are going to be people that are non-compliant CPAP individuals. Yeah. There's um, plenty of those around. There's a lot, you know, 50% of people yeah. are given the thing. Um, and I, and then I'm going to try to phenotype how different treatments are more or less effective for different oh. types of people with insomnia, or sorry, with sleep apnea. Yeah. My insomnia happens. I love that. Usually, no. That's exactly what we need. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and actually, the part of the big problem that I see in this space is all of the medical professionals are selling their own thing. 
Yes. Um, and I think that that is exactly what the problem is. <laughs> yeah, that is really what the problem is. Yeah. Um, you got obviously the dentist with a great solution. Right. You have the pulmonologist with you know the most effective solution, but right. the adherence is poor. Right. And then you know even people who do all sorts of surgeries that may or may not work for different all right. people. I'm not going to even touch the surgeries because <laughs> I just find. Anything yeah. that invasive, I just, I don't know. And I, I think maybe there is a place for it, but to I run mean, a study where people get surgeries is like out of my domain. It might be a bit um, difficult to, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the, I mean, there's so much to say, like that's, that's really exactly what we need. I mean, you hear from a lot of, um, a lot of the different experts that I've interviewed on the podcast will say, well, of course, you know, I just heard um, Dr. William Noah speaking at the um, Philadelphia Sleep Conference, and he's talking about, well, of course, people who are morbidly obese are not going to do well with an oral appliance or because of the pressures and they need CPAP to open everything up and just all these things. But it's like, that's not, nobody is communicating that with patients at all. Right. Like patients are just being told this is another treatment option. Well, oral appliances like work super well for people who their tongue is falling back in their airway and right. bringing the tongue forward is going to solve the problem. But people who have a collapsing airway <laughs> and right. it's not just the tongue that's the issue, like that's not going to solve it. Right. So it's trying to understand like, yeah, exactly what you just said, like the different phenotypes and which the most effective treatments are going to be for those people. Because yeah, and for patients, do, it's expensive, yeah. right? Sure. Like you start with, I mean, almost everybody goes through this thing where they go see a doctor and they get prescribed CPAP and then they either manage to make do with it or they or they do really well. Some people do really well sure. um, or they fail and then they're kind of like back out there in the wild west trying to figure it out themselves you know like so no, it's yeah. just it's really tricky and it's very expensive because the more things that you try you know you're not getting a refund for the custom oral appliance you just paid for true <laughs> so yeah it would be really uh, helpful to know a lot of that stuff ahead of time i think no yeah, yeah so that's i'm trying to figure out a way to easily phenotype people basically and possibly even diagnose without an overnight study Right. Um, so that would be crazy. That's very ambitious. Um, yeah. You got to be a little bit crazy to get the grants. Yeah. But, um, so, but then also, you know, there are, and I'll just also say there are good, good doctors out there. So like one of our, there are excellent doctors out there. Yeah. Our, but like the right, the, a good doctor would be like, okay, clearly this oral appliance, you know, I, one of our, one of my advisors from my company, um, Dr. Randall Evans is a pulmonologist mm -hmm. and he will satisfy the problem with people, meaning um, yeah. if they're really not going to use the CPAP, he'll give them other treatment yeah. options. There are like, I can't um, stress enough that there are some excellent doctors out there. Like, right. I, you know, I just, I think because of the job I do, a lot of what I hear about is like, not necessarily like, I know some just right. excellent doctors all over the place, but they don't live in like, rural iowa or right. you hear the horror stories i hear the stuff from people who are trying to cobble together some sort of treatment plan with a primary care physician because they're not even close enough to 
you know, a teaching hospital or somewhere that has mm. a sleep clinic even. Oh, wow. So it's, I mean, there's people being, you know, tested at home and getting a CPAP and very little, you know, help and they don't really know. So that's kind of, I think I'm just like constantly because of all of the patients that I talk to, you know, I'm, I, I'm aware that like not everybody has access to a, a great doctor, unfortunately. But there yeah, are so they're hard to come by, but like, yeah. ideally, like every dentist, every pulmonologist, and I like the dentist because almost everyone, it's almost the doctor people see the most of in the United yeah. States. So I like, the, I like trying to figure out things for them. And, just they're, from in, and they're in people's mouths, which have so many telltale signs of sleep apnea. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, so I sort of see the dentist as the pathway in order to build more accessible accessibility to this. But what I want the dent I want the dentist to have the tools to be able to say exactly what you just said. Um yeah, I I could give you this oral appliance, it's really not gonna work for you. Mm-hmm. You really need CPAP. There needs to be like some kind of um way of making that decision and, and also going the other way for the pulmonologist like i get you're non-compliant with cpap um you're a mild case of sleep apnea and your phenotype um shows that this might work well for you maybe you would just be better off with the oral appliance they're not financially as motivated to do that obviously right um but i think but i think i think some sort of standardized um you know, test or at the moment, I feel like we're relying so much on individual doctors and dentists say so, right? Like some of whom are excellent and have really excellent clinical judgment. And some people who maybe just, you know, like there's certain dentists who don't do this all the time. Like they'll make some oral appliances for sleep apnea, but it's not really their specialty. So I feel like anything we could do to make it more standardized to say this, you know, I mean, nasal, don't even start me on nasal obstruction and how that plays into this. But everybody to me should be having their their nose examined. And there's actually like a- That's a great point. Yeah. So, you know, like somebody with really bad nasal obstruction- who, right. you know, like has a huge tongue and, you know, this, this, and this. No, I, I, sh- I should have talked to you they before need. I finished this grant. <laughs> Those are all the things that you mentioned. Obviously, how about like allergies or something like that? Do you see? I mean, because that was a big thing that happened to me recently. Huge. I realized that my allergy shots wore off and I have yeah. a strong allergy to dust mites. Mm-hmm, um, so we just got these like special pillowcases that block out the mites. Basically, that's what the, I went to an ENT and that's what he suggested. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, I guess that's an, and so allergies might also play a role in the nose. Uh, as well. Yeah. So I, I'm like sort of uh, querying you here. Um. So sorry <laughs> to turn the interview around. You're but, totally um, fine. <laughs> so is there a way to be like, okay, this is a bad allergy day. Instead of doing the nasal CPAP, I'll have the masks. Oh, one. Yeah. You can do either one sometimes. Like yeah. you'll have. I have so both. here's what happens with me. So mostly I use a full face mask because I almost always have something going on with my nose. But if I have like, I've been to the ENT and everything and they said, 
they didn't kind of rush to say let's do i do have a bit of a deviated septum and i Hmm. do have like some enlarged turbinus but they weren't like let's do surgery right away they said you have really really small nasal architecture like there's just not enough room and you have like really bad allergies right so they gave me like all sorts of steroids to shove up my nose so some weeks if there's no if there's nothing there's not like thick yellow pollen around or anything you know i'm doing pretty good and i've been breathing through my nose really well during the day then i will do so i'll do the Mm. whole nasal cleansing um where you do like i do the x clear like the xylitol Mm. thing and then i put in my steroid spray as directed by the ent and then i will do some little uh i'll either do a nasal pillows mask or i put um those little you know like mute or whatever like to expand your this part and then i'll wear a nasal mask Huh. Okay. And then you'll use the nasal CPAP. Yeah. But most the of the time, aren't... I just yeah. do the full face mask, mainly because I'm totally used to it and it's comfy. Um, but it, but it's not as good to sleep like that, right? Because you really should be breathing through your nose. I'm trying to make it more accessible. I mean, I think the ask of like, come to the sleep lab and stay up all night or, you know, and sleep here all night. It's just hard for a lot of people to do that. Yeah, you know? It's really so hard. If there were, so my thought experiment is, is there any way that a dentist, when you go to your normal dentist, you know, if you're a good um, dental patient, every you six months, or year, you know, every six yeah. months, there's a real opportunity there. And I think every dentist, I'm actually shocked that they don't do that more don't do it. Cause it seems like they're financially motivated. Should ask if the person is you know having trouble breathing and everyone should get basically the um, stop bang or something like that all right you fill out this survey then you have a conversation with the dentist and the dentist is like seems like you might have a problem here let's do this extra some extra testing on you come back in six months or you know come back next time um and then they would uh do this sort of um you know, scoping and visualization of the face and stuff. Um, and I hope something to do with their nose. <laughs> no, yeah. So, I, no, no, you're you're bringing me down this other path. I, I know. I, mean, I should have included yeah, some of that. They, I mean, I think that there's definitely, that's really interesting. Like looking at people's, you know, faces and what data you can get from that. That is really interesting. Thank you. I try. (laughs) So what I love about that is, I don't know if you've heard of, there's a guy called Chris Kelly who's in Australia. I don't suppose you listened to my podcast episode with him, did you? No. (laughs) How do you spell his last name? Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y. Okay. And he has a company which essentially has changed the model so that people start with their dentist and they do Hmm. home sleep apnea testing with their dentist and then the way that he has it set up in his company is the uh, sleep uh, test goes to a sleep specialist like a doctor who 
makes the diagnosis and writes a prescription for CPAP and a prescription for oral appliance therapy. Oh, wow. And then sends it back to the dentist. The patient never sees the doctor. The, the dentist explains what the options are. And then hmm. the dentist is the one that, that then, uh, you know, deals with it. And, and it's like them. exactly what I'm imagining. That's awesome. Yeah. So they, so there's a lot of pros and cons. Like you really should talk to Chris. So he's really interesting. Mm. Great guy. Um, I mean, if you think I'm nerding out with you, me, we, we ended up having to do like two episodes because I had so much more to ask him. Um, mm. but he's worked a lot with like, he's a CPAP user himself and he, a lot of his patients, you know, over the years have, um, have used CPAP and he knows a lot about that as well. So I think that he just feels exactly what you just said, that people are have a more consistent relationship sometimes with their dentist. Yeah. So their dentist is seeing them every six months, whereas oftentimes people will miss den- or miss like, you know, physicals or checkups with their doctor or they don't see the same doctor every time. And that relationship's not quite where we think it is, right? And a lot of people don't have a primary care physician. So they're using like urgent care and it's kind of fragmented. Whereas the dentists, you know, seem to be in a good spot to be able to spot this. Exactly. Yeah. I I, I need to go to a dentist every six months or my breath smells. So there's like a, (laughs) so there's like a a more physical need then and like you're not like dealing with your mortality as much right in your mind when you see your dentist yes. even though they can definitely help Whereas my de- my doctor's gonna tell me all about my cholesterol and exactly then yeah. i'm gonna have to like you know right stop eating chocolate yeah besides <laughs> like, the pain of you know getting a bloody mouth to go to the dentist um yeah so i do think like for like you're probably not looking at kids are you with with what you're hoping to do no so this would be we would actually recruit i think i wrote um 35 to 60 uh so like midlife well when you get your grant (laughs) and you need some people you let me know (laughs) oh i will for sure (laughs) um all i was gonna say about kids is that there's actually a really good resource that I keep banging on about. Um, there's a, a group called the Breathe Institute in California who put together a Ferris Six. It's called the Ferris Six. Uh, have you heard of that? No, Ferris, F-E-R-R-I-S-T dot org. And there's uh, a free PDF that they they made it for clinicians. So they mainly were thinking about dentists screening um, kids for sleep disorder breathing. So mm. sleep disorder breathing, including sleep apnea, but but all the way from mouth breathing to severe sleep apnea, right? Mm. So the whole gamut. And they did research where they picked out that these were correlated with kids that had sleep disorder breathing. So that I think has to kind of like go in with whatever is happening with adults just to spot this earlier. And if there's stuff that can be done for kids just to, you know, retrain them to nasal breathe and all of that. That's where the myofunctional therapy would come in. Yes. So there's a lot of like controversy about adults and myofunctional therapy and pal expansion, especially and all that. But with kids, it's not very controversial. I don't think I think that 
you know is common sense like yeah. helping kids to breathe through their nose and have correct resting oral posture really helps them so and mm-hmm. I think it's like a yeah I really feel like that's what we should be doing for or at least kids should be evaluated to kind of see like if they have those things on that list the chances are they could probably benefit from my functional therapy all Why right my not? next step yeah, is well. a uh, pediatrics grant for uh children yeah <laughs> oh my god you should totally do that like i i would love someone to do that as well i just have like a whole bunch of research i think everyone should be doing. all right so you come to me i'll you'll give me all the research ideas i'll try to implement them. right so what kind of if you if you do get your grant like what kind of time frame like how long would that take um, so it would go from until 2025 is when we'd have our results. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, that's not so long. I yeah. feel like so, sometimes people are like, yeah, we're researching that. We're going to have our results in 10 years. <laughs> yeah. And I'm no, like, yeah. Oh, so I, I'm usually doing it in two year clips. Okay. Yeah. Well, I hope you get it funded. And Me then too. You can come and tell us all about what happens. Um, so tell people a little bit about like where they can find you and like where they can, find the sleep space app and all that. Yeah. So, I mean, we have some practical solutions, meditations, uh, smart alarm clock. I have actually a sleep program, six week sleep program um, for um, people that have problems falling asleep and staying asleep and also one for deeper sleep. You can go to sleepspace.com and you can try it for free for 30 days. If you do sleepspace.com slash union, U-N-I-O-N. Okay, I'm going to put that link in the show notes so people can sure. just click it. Awesome. Cool. And what about connecting with you? So you can connect with me through the app. Um, and there's a way of actually we have Dr. Snooze AI. So it's a chat bot where you can communicate with and I'll speak to people on the chat bot as well. So it's almost like 24 seven support about their sleep. And then you can also book with me through the app and stuff if you want to talk right sleep on. science and optimization. Okay. And we also have a team of 25 sleep coaches addressing all the issues. So um, I think you've you've had Teresa DeNike on yep. the show and you know her. Yep, um, helping with, um, you know, sleep apnea compliance and navigating face masks and stuff like this. Yeah. We have Caitlin cool. Shrum who does the uh, myofunctional therapy with us. And then like a bunch of like biohackers, um, some um, hypnotherapists, all the things basically. Okay, cool. Well, I'll definitely put the link below and people can check it out. Awesome. So thanks very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. I love hearing from you. If you'd like to be featured in an upcoming episode, please email me at sleepapneastories at gmail.com. That's also the place to get in touch if you just want to say hi or ask a question. Alternatively, you can always reach me on Instagram. My handle there is at sleepapneastories. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. This really helps a wider audience to find the episodes and I really appreciate it.